Global Monger Podcast. I'm Janae Muha, your host. Courtney Johnson is busy. Executive Director, Certified Cheese Professional, Cheesemonger, Small Business Owner, and Blogger. There are a few things she hasn't done. With two bachelor's degrees and a PhD under her belt, Courtney's path to cheese was an unexpected turn. But much like her academic pursuits, she's jumped in full force. How does someone that was clearly on an academic track make their way to the cheese world? Courtney tells us how she did it and how she's using that education in new ways. I would just like to apologize for anyone listening on headphones right now because my audio in this recording is not very great. But thankfully, Courtney sounds wonderful. And that's all that really matters. My name is Courtney Johnson. I've been working in cheese for seven years. I started uh, working at a Seattle area high-end grocery store chain uh, called Metropolitan Market. And I actually started as a produce helper clerk while I was remotely finishing my doctoral dissertation um, at Berkeley. I was on an academic track for most of my adult life. Um, I have two bachelor's degrees one in German, one in journalism. I have a master's in German and I have a PhD, which is technically in German with a designated emphasis in uh, film and media studies, which is very fancy. Um, The proper thing for me to do when I graduated in 2016 would have been to apply for a tenure track professor job at an Ivy League institution. Uh, But I just kind of wasn't interested anymore at some point. Um, and didn't know what I was going to do. And then I ran out of fellowship funding during my last year and needed to start paying tuition. So the only job that would bring me in for an interview was a produce job at the Magnolia Met Market. And I met the super awesome cheesemonger who was working there, Irene Davis, and she let me be her cheese apprentice. And I've never looked back. Um, I graduated from Berkeley, pissed off some people by not applying for any academic jobs whatsoever and threw myself into cheese with all of that academic vigor that I still had. Um, I worked at a couple of Metropolitan Market locations, ran the cheese counter at their Kirkland store, and then right after I passed the CCP exam, I decided I needed a change um, and moved over to PCC Community Markets, which is where I've been working since 2017. So right now, I wear a couple of different hats. Uh, I am the cheese specialist at the PCC Community Market in Beery in Washington. And for those who don't know, PCC stands for Puget Consumer Co-op. And it is the largest consumer co-op in the country. We have 15 stores, two of which we opened during the pandemic. Uh, And PCC is known for having really strict ingredient standards and for being a primarily organic grocer. Uh, We're a USDA certified organic grocery store chain. Um, When I'm not working full-time behind the counter, I'm the executive director for the Washington State Cheesemakers Association, uh, which is a six-year-old 501c3 nonprofit um, whose primary goal is to serve and elevate um, our state's licensed cheesemakers. And last year, at the end of 2020, um, together with my business partner, Taylor Coes, I opened a mobile cheese shop called Street Cheese. Uh, We sell cheese by the wedge, by the wheel. Uh, We make cheese plates and cheese-based delicacies. And we're going to start offering some cheese education 
for the public and also for cheesebongers um, soon. Right now we can't afford it, but our goal is to have a cheese truck that we can drive around in rather than just delivering cheese out of the trunks of our car. Um, and then this has kind of taken a backseat during COVID because I had a lot of anxiety around the internet and the pandemic in general, but I also um, write a cheese education blog called The PH Cheese, PhD Cheesemonger, so it's called PH Cheese. Um, and that has an audience of general consumers and baby cheesemongers. Uh, and it's actually the first big project in cheese that I let myself do after I graduated from the university. Um, and I'd been wanting to do it since the first day behind the counter, which I know you can relate to um, because you opened a blog after you left Whole Foods. Yeah. Um, and then through the blog, I was teaching cheese education classes around the region before the pandemic. And I did a couple online during the pandemic, but work at the store was just so stressful that I haven't really pursued it. So that's what I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like your academic career. Now I can see why you have like a million things going on <laughs> all at the same time. Cause I'm always like, how does Courtney have the energy and the time to do all of the things that she does? Uh, so I want to break down, um, some of the issues that COVID impacted in all of those different facets of what you do. So I think maybe starting at um, the PCC counter level right now, um, can you just talk about what the last year looked like behind the counter? Yeah, the last year behind the counter was um, pretty wild. Uh, you know, so it's a cheese counter that's in a grocery store. Um, and I would say that we're just now starting to go back to what life maybe was kind of like before the pandemic. Um, but, you know, in um, March of last year, our sales went crazy, especially like commodity cheese. And in May, the state shut down. And then I think like halfway through May, employees had to start wearing masks in the store, but customers weren't required to. You know, it was, it's this weird... Um, this weird situation that looking back on it, it's like uh, just a really weird movie that we were part of. Um, but we had, you know, Instacart shoppers coming in. Instacart is our regional um, online like shopping delivery app. And like people who didn't speak English trying to find cheeses they'd never heard of before shoving their phones in your face uh, while you're trying to social distance. Um, I think like everybody who worked in the store had crazy anxiety and is totally traumatized um, from working with the public over the last year. Like it's really a dark view on it, but I, I think like we really had our faith in humanity kind of shaken a little bit just by having to be with so much of the public. We never metered in the store um, throughout the whole pandemic, including during the holidays, which were absolutely gangbusters. Um, our max capacity, it's not a huge store, but it's not a small store either. Our max capacity was like 84 people at one point. And we'd be like, man, there's got to be like 100 people in here. Because um, you'd have like the meat aisle would have 35 people on it. And they're not social distancing. And then somebody left their shopping cart in the middle. So everybody's like on one side of the aisle trying to get around it. It was a very stressful time. Um, but at the same time, like we had a lot of customers who were like, cheese is my, you know, my release from all of the stress of the world. So we kind of had this role of 
helping people cope with the pandemic by giving them fancy cheese um, in a very scary world um, and also fighting with people to put their masks on and stuff like that. So I identify with uh, comfort cheese. I'm a big fan of that. Um, So how did your mongering change uh, in that respect of not being able to do samples in the store? Like, what did that look like for you? I think like a lot of um, cheesemongers, we really had to rely on our vocabulary a lot more. I think 50% of our business at one point was Instacart. So you really didn't have the option to convince those people to get one thing or the other. It was really what they found online. The silver lining there was that um, the way that the app works, a lot of them automatically select a whole pound of cheese. Um, So we were selling those people a pound of whatever they found online. Um, which sometimes at $35, that's great. The people who were coming into the store, um, we didn't really bring in a lot of new cheeses. So we had our tried and true things that we really, you know, you have it down at that point already. And we could just really push people to certain things. Um, We had the regulars who we pushed to their things um, and just really worked on the vocab. Around Christmas time, I think, we started being able to give out sealed samples So you get like a two ounce sample cup, put your cheese in it, put the lid on it, put a label on it, and then like tape it shut, like mummify it with tape. And then we'd have to have them behind the counter. And when the person would come up, it'd be like, hey, you want a sample to take home? Um, You have to leave the store to eat it because they're invariably like trying to peel it apart to get it open, to shove it in their mouths right there. Um, so that didn't translate to instantaneous sales, but we did have people coming back who were like, hey, you give me a sample like last week and I took it home and ate it and I want that. Um, That's good. I was going to ask if you felt yeah. like you saw any sort of uh, comeback, you know, yeah. through that. Yeah, no, we we did. It, it was never the same. Like nothing is the same as giving a person a sample. Um, and you still had people complaining the whole time that they couldn't eat in the store. Um but really just relying on that vocab and then our little mummified sample cups um, when the time came to start doing that. We're still giving out samples and cups, but they're able to like open it up and slip it in their mouth and decide in the moment if they want to eat it. Yeah. Did you find connecting with consumers like more difficult in this time? Like obviously with outside of Instacart, but like, Mm -hmm. was it hard to kind of be on the same page with people? I don't think so. I think that for, so there were two, two kinds of customers who were in the store. There was the regular customer who wasn't doing Instacart because we did a lot of our regulars stayed home and sent in the shoppers for them. And we didn't see them for like a whole year. Um, The ones who were coming in, it was just kind of like, Hey, how are you doing today? You know? So we had a little bit deeper conversations with those people. Um, You know, sometimes they would see someone without a mask on and go up to that person and be like, you can't be in here without your mask on. And they would kind of be like, we really are sorry that you have to deal with this. Um, And they were always thanking us for being there every day and everything. So it was kind of like a deeper connection on like a human level while, um, you know, being able to say like, hey, we actually got in a new cheese finally, or, um, you know, the cheese that you really like is not available right now because everything's not coming in. Um, But we have something that you might want to try. So like knowing their palates and what they come in for, um, you know, having smaller conversations. 
So let's talk about the supplier issue. Yeah. Like, did you find a lot of cheeses were just not available? Like, did your case have to shrink as to what you could bring in just because of availability? I think the bloomy rind section of the case got hit the hardest, the most consistently. And we're actually still, because of that dang Suez Canal container ship, uh, we're still having a hard time with that part of the case we're a cut to wrap shop and so we always like to have a base wheel and then the cut pieces on top of that and um we've struggled to keep that section full and so we're constantly having to shift the case around but we've never had a moment where we were like the case is empty um because we had enough of our harder cheeses that we could always like scoot in um and fill the void and um yeah, it's just the the European cheeses primarily that we had the hardest time getting. We've had a couple of local producers and um, domestics that have had a hard time too. But and people have been pretty like understanding, like, oh, got it. Like it must be COVID. That's why I can't get my herb daffinois, you know. <laughs> oh boy. But the case. Our case is always like too small for what we want it to be anyway. So we don't have a hard time filling it. It's just like you have three options if you want a Brie style cheese today. Like they're all local, they're all expensive. Which one would you like? <laughs> yeah. And that's interesting too, because in talking to cheesemakers, like the bloomies and the soft cheeses were like the hardest to deal with the beginning because when you've got an influx of that and people are buying cheddars and parmesans <laughs> yeah you know it was it's a hard balance to to work out um so that's yeah. interesting that it's still are you like finding that it's easier to get from local i know some you said some are still having a hard time but yeah yeah no definitely um the kind of like hyper local stuff we're not having any hard time getting those some of the larger local have been having a little bit of outages. And I think that's more of like a distribution level issue. Um, but nobody's having a hard time producing. Um, and from like a demand standpoint, everything has equalized because we went through that like cheddar Parmesan and then everybody wanted really esoteric fancy stuff because they were like, I'm so tired of eating beans with cheddar on them. <laughs> or whatever it is that everybody was eating with all their hoarded beans and Tillamook two pound cheddar blocks. Um, and then the holidays was like, I want everything with truffles and I want caviar and like, I want to eat like Scrooge McDuck. And now they're kind of, it's like more spotty and equalized what they want. So like after the feta epidemic that everybody wanted to be baking feta in the oven. Mm, TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Like there hasn't been one thing that, we have a hard time getting because of the supply chain other than the European stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Waska. Can you yeah. explain about Waska, what um, their job is and what your job is within that? Yes. So Waska, um, we are basically a cheese guild. Um, cheese guilds, there are a good number of them around the country, um, and they, they can be regional or they can be state-based. Um, 
we're a state-based one. So our, we have membership, our primary members are our licensed cheesemaker members, which is anybody who's licensed with the state of Washington to make cheese specifically um, in their milk processor licensing program. Um, so the licensed cheesemakers are the only ones who have voting rights in our organization. And then we also have business members, corporate members and enthusiast members. Um, and we do a lot of marketing for the cheesemakers, um, hopefully more in the future. We just applied for a big uh, grant that we're hoping we get um, so that we can really like shout their names from the rafters. Um, but we, we try to promote them whenever we can. I know that in the past we've tried to give um, money for them to go to uh, conferences and awards um, and uh, judging competitions, things like that. Uh, we try to provide education. Um, we're only six years old, which in the land of uh, cheese guilds is fairly young. Um, and I would say that like 90% of our funding comes from membership dues. So we don't have a very large budget. Um, whereas some of the more established cheese guilds in like Oregon and California and Vermont, and um, they have a lot of money um, and a lot of experience in their own networks. So they get to do a lot of things. Um, we network with them to get opportunities for our members. So sometimes we'll get discounts for our cheesemakers to attend their conferences or um, to get them discounts on different things that people are doing in the industry. Um, but our, our primary thing is to ensure that, you know, on the one hand, the Washington cheese like brand, if you will, is um, that people know about it. Like I still have people at my cheese counter who don't think that American cheeses can be good. And it's kind of like, uh, I, it's 2021. I don't think that you can have that opinion anymore. It's not um, allowed. It's not allowed. We don't like, allow that. We had the best cheese in the world for the last two years. Like you can't, you can't say that. And um, to also make sure that our cheesemakers have the tools that they need to be successful, whether that's um, help in navigating regulations and food safety, um, letting them know when, you know, the FDA is going to start doing swabs, stuff like that, um, or the USDA, like really being there to help them make sure that they have every need so that they can, everything that they need so that they can keep making good cheese and we can keep telling people about it and getting them to buy it. So that's it in a nutshell. So what kind of issues did you see come up with COVID in terms of what the cheesemakers needed and what you were able to actually focus on over the last year? Yeah, so I actually wasn't the executive director yet when COVID started, um, but I was a member and I was kind of watching the first thing that the organization actually did when um, things really got kind of crazy was they actually reached, they did a little um, campaign called uh, Save Our Cheesemakers, um, where they reached out to retailers and um, just kind of their network at large and were like, our cheesemakers, you know, the ground floor just fell out on them overnight because of the food service accounts that everybody has. The farmer's markets are closed. You know, this is the springtime. Everybody is flush with cheese. Like, can you help? Um, and they were able to get one of our um, kind of local grocery store chains, Hagen, to do a local cheese promotion. Um, somebody anonymous donor donated money to help really small cheesemakers in need. Um, so 
you know, there was kind of a rallying in the community, like, hey, like, what can we do to help the cheesemakers out? So Waska did that. And then um, we've just been really since then trying to find ways to create more benefits for the cheesemakers so that they're really getting something out of being in the organization and that they, you know, that there's, that they can get more for the hard work that they do. Um, and we are checking in with them to kind of see how things are going. Like at this point, I'm hearing a lot of positive news from a lot of the members. That doesn't mean that there aren't still people who are struggling a little bit, um, but everybody is really busy and a lot of them are selling out of all their cheese. So, uh, you know, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're making yeah. it. <laughs> After last year's conversations where it was very doom and gloom and everything is like, nobody knows what's happening. Everything's up in the air to this year's conversations with cheesemakers that I've had. It's been so nice to be like, everything's positive. People are selling things like cheese is happening. Yes. (laughs) Such a relief. (laughs) Yes. We love that. Um, Awesome. So now those are two out of the like three major things of your life over the last year. Um, (laughs) And then you decided to open a new business. So tell us all about the trials and tribulations of street cheese. Yeah. Well, I think so. Anybody who starts a business, I have to commend them if they're not independently wealthy. Um, And going through this process has made me respect anybody who like comes to this country and doesn't speak this language, English, uh, as a native speaker and navigates everything that you have to do to start a business because it's so confusing. (laughs) Um, But we, we'd been talking about starting a, like something uh, for as long as Taylor and I have known each other basically for like, I don't know, (laughs) six years almost. And at some point during the pandemic, we just realized like, if we don't just, if we keep waiting until we have enough money to start a business, we're never going to open a business because we work in retail and we're never going to have enough money to open a business. Um, So I got um, for some work that I had been doing um, for, for my teaching jobs that I had that got put on hold um, with some of my local accounts I got an SBA uh, grant, or well, it wasn't a grant, it was a loan um, to help cover the lost income. And I used that to help start a new business. Um, So we were like, well, we have a thousand dollars. Like, guess what? You have to build an LLC and that costs like a thousand dollars. But we've, you know, we, we became an LLC. We got our business license. We got insurance, like we did all these big grown-up things um, for our business. And then the last hurdle was getting the health department um, to give us a license to do our work after we found a commissary kitchen that we could afford um, because commissary kitchens are very expensive and you can't actually work with cheese unless you're in a licensed and inspected inspected, um, location. Um, which all these, you know, platter and board companies that are out there are probably not working out of an inspected kitchen because it's really expensive um, and you have to get licensed to the health department. And that's also expensive because cheese is um, 
classified as a you know potentially hazardous food so it's, it's very like, dangerous very dangerous the cheese is going to get you <laughs> uh it's class two dangerous on the scale of one through three of the health department <laughs> the only thing worse is meat <laughs> Raw that's meat. fair i am actually kind of scared of meat sometimes but you know, <laughs> it's rare uh, that i'm scared of cheese but yeah cheese isn't really that scary but um you know, our regulatory bodies do think that it is quite harmful. Um, so from going through all those steps, it was really hard to kind of like do the other things that business owners are supposed to do, like figure out their projections and stuff. Cause we were in a pandemic and it's like, I don't know what people are really going to buy. Like we know that people are buying cheese. We know that people don't like to leave their homes so we can deliver cheese to them. Um, but how much money are people going to have to be able to spend by the time we can actually like jump over every single hurdle that you have to go over to be a business, like a real legitimate business. Um, cause everything is like, oh, there's going to be a recession and you know, all these bad things are going to happen, which bad things are happening for sure. Um, but, uh, we couldn't really get a good sense on like what, it was actually going to look like because we didn't know what the world was going to look like. So we were just kind of like, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to do this thing. Um, and right now it's coming together as a bunch of pop-ups really where, because we don't have our cheese truck um, and it might be a while before we have our cheese truck because cheese trucks are expensive. We're like popping up at different restaurants now that things are open um, or like bars, cafes, stuff like that and um, selling cheese and little cheese plates and trying to hook people into coming back and just buying the cheese. Um, that's what we're doing right now. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, but then I'm like seeing stuff about like, oh, we might have to go back to wearing masks indoors. So it's like, are we gonna be eating indoors still? Like, which direction is this gonna go? Yeah, everything's still very up in the air. Thanks, Delta variant. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's hard to make any sort of... It's hard to really think about the future right now. So mm -hmm. I just have to stick <laughs> day by day as to what's happening. <laughs> yeah. That's, I think that even within the course of a day, we don't know what's happening. So... But ultimately, I mean, you want to open a truck and you want to be able to like what go to bars and be able to like pop up outside yeah. or like what's the ultimate goal, I guess. The dream of doing all this work is that we can go to like festivals and games and like concerts and also like bars or, you know, the park. See, all of this came out of like pre-pandemic desires to go to things where people gather, um, which is why it's all <laughs> so hard to, like, we've really just been focused on like building a business or like creating a, biz a business. Um, but we want to be able to take the truck out to places and bring the cheese to the people. We also want to like, it's hard to like quantify, but we want to be able to bring the cheese to places that don't have fancy grocery stores and make it accessible to people. But also not try to be doing it in a way that feels like gentrifying. Like that's something that we're very conscious that we don't want to do, but we also want to make sure that everybody has access to cheese, um, you know, regardless of where they live and um, what they look like or what they do. Like 
it shouldn't just be the people in the nice zip codes or the people who know where the fancy grocery stores are that have a cheese counter. Um, so we really want to get the cheese out there and then someday we would like to have a brick and mortar um, that is like a spin-off of the truck. So yeah. Big dreams. And honestly, I think that going about it this way and kind of being forced to is that you're actually having to really think about the business as a whole. Cause I think a lot of people just start a business and they're like, okay, we're doing it. And like, they don't actually sit and think about it much. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think this is a good thing for you. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I hope I God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> 2020 was supposed to be a really great year and it was starting off really great. I mean, somebody I know, maybe one <laughs> second place. Oh, yeah. place. Second what? place. Second uh, place, yeah. Uh, the Cheesemonger Invitational in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah you want to talk about that? You want to yeah. talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was the last in person CMI and uh, this is the second one I competed in. And, uh, you know, it was like, I felt like much more like, eh, whatever about everything. Like I, you know, my champagne flutes that I brought for my beverage pairing shattered in my suitcase and I didn't even bother to check until the morning that I needed them. And I had to text you and be like, can you go to anywhere and help me find some glasses since I knew you were coming later? <laughs> Um, which was like, I owe you my, my second place victory. It was also like a really awesome finals group because it was like four women and three people from the Pacific Northwest. And then the top three were all women. And I was just kind of like, yeah, like, it's right. It was very exciting to watch. And so it, for me, it was like, that was like, that whole trip was just like, yeah, 2020, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> and, oh. <laughs> right off a cliff. Right. And then, so you competed also in the Meet Me Online. I did. Yeah. And flattening the curd. Okay. So the last um, two virtual CMIs, yeah. can you talk I, about that process at all? How was that for you? Yeah. So it was actually, it was really, it, it's so it, you get a lot of the same stuff. Like there are, um, you still have the two days of education before the competition. Um, but there's more pre-work that you have to do because you have to submit your things online via email. Um, like both of them had a social media post that you had to write. You had to design a class, um, like a virtual class. There was an online salesmanship round where you were on Zoom with judges, which is totally different from continuing to work in a grocery store selling cheese to people in person um, with like a virtual cheese case. Um, and this last one, the Meet Me Online, you had a meat plate that couldn't have cheese on it and a cheese plate that couldn't have meat on it. And you have to describe them like a waiter in a restaurant, but it's all online and a lot of it is more about your ability to do social media or to take pictures than it is about like creating flavor combinations because nobody's going to taste it except for you um so it's a different skill set and I felt really challenged in flattening the curd because I even though I write a blog and post stuff online like I typically don't put a lot of thought into it because I'm very much like I have so much going on I'm just like yeah get it done get it done like 
put up a picture like oh that looks cool I'm gonna snap a shot and this was like compose the photo make the cheese look glorious make this meat shine <laughs> um which I got third place in um, meet me online so I figured it out um a little bit better <laughs> how to use the internet <laughs> you finally figured it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but it, it's, I think it was great that they did the online events because it, you know, the thing about CMI, and I love CMI so much, is you have to go to San Francisco or Chicago or New York and you, you know, lug all this stuff with you and you have to have the time to go do it. And like, you can get sponsored to go to it. So it's not necessarily about the money, but it is also about the money because it's time away from work. And the online ones are just so democratic and that more people from more places were able to take part in it. And, you know, there's like this fantastic comment section that's going on, like just constant conversations the whole time. So it felt like you were still part of the community of people, even though you like could just see their teeny tiny little heads in a strip <laughs> on the side. Um, and like, you know, you still get to learn stuff and all of the sponsors brought, um, you know, different things. So you learn something different every time, but it was, they were great. I was really happy to get to take part in both of those. Yeah. Okay. So I've got some speed round questions. All right. Let's do this. Uh, what is your cheese crush right now? My cheese crush is probably the Altalanga Robiola Bocina. Shush, don't tell the local cheeses. Um, the little cow and sheep milk Robiola. Um, it's just so good right now. So I could just luscious. basically slam anything from Altalanga, to be honest, like Latour, Nachiola, like all of those, all of them I love. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite pairing? My favorite pairing at the moment is candied pecans. Um, PCC actually makes some that have cayenne in them. So they have like that spicy sweetness to them. And I just want them with everything like doesn't matter yeah. cheddar gruyere all of them softies I'm, i make it work <laughs> just like just whatever just eat yeah that no off. i mean it's they're they're good with so many things like anything that has like that little hint of nuttiness like they tend to draw that out and you're like oh yeah this is real nutty i'm gonna put some more nuts <laughs> on my plate you know that's on nuts um so so far in your cheese career, what's your best cheese memory? My best cheese memory, um, probably for me and also right now, it was attending the ACS conference in Denver in 2017, which is the only one I've been to in person. And it's where I got, I took the CCP exam and it was just great. I came back so like regenerate, regenerated, whatever, revitalized, like jazzed. Like this is what I'm meant to be doing. Um, like that's my best cheese memory. Um, well, I'm gonna end this now because I okay. think we've got a lot, unless there's something else that you really feel like you need to talk about that we missed. Um, I think like I might just add one thing, sure. which is yeah. that um I, I think that we still like need to like put special emphasis on, you know, buying local cheeses wherever we live and 
you know, selling the local stuff first because just because the pandemic seems like it's over in parts of the country doesn't mean that they don't still need our business and that the pandemic isn't the only reason that we should support our local, you know, food economies and our local cheese makers. So just want to remind everybody to buy local cheese. But thank you for the reminder. I think we always need to be reminded of that. Yeah, it's always heavy on my mind, especially working with Waska, but as a cheesemonger in general, I worry about local foods. So. Courtney's insatiable drive and thirst for more is something that I'm proud to witness. It keeps me on my toes and inspires me to strive for bigger and better things. Thank you, Courtney, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat, and I'm so excited to see what you can accomplish. This podcast is recorded, produced, and edited by me, Janae Muha. Thank you to Ben Muha for allowing me to use your music. To support the show, please find me on Instagram and Facebook at The Mobile Monger. For cool extras and to financially support the continuation of this podcast, please consider contributing to my Patreon. There, you'll find the full video recording of the conversations from Zoom, behind the scenes on live recordings, discount codes for merch at my online shop, and more fun stuff coming soon. Thanks for listening, and remember to keep spreading the word of good courage.